Today on Blue 58, on paper, there isn't actually a huge difference between what the Packers and Giants have done so far this season. In fact, the Giants are actually averaging more points than the team with the two-time defending MVP. So will the talent gap finally show itself in London? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Murdank, happy to be with you here for another episode. And I'd like to open this discussion of the Packers versus Giants by just returning to that question I asked sort of rhetorically there in the opening. Will the talent gap finally show itself in London? That's the real question, isn't it? Because as you look at this game, it's hard to get away from the kind of elephant in the room, that this game is being played in London and not Lambeau Field, not even New York. And I feel like for at least two out of the last three weeks, the Bears game, the Patriots game, I've been saying the the Packers' talent should carry them here. And it hasn't really felt that way yet. They ultimately took care of both the Bears and the Patriots, but those games were closer than they should have been. Maybe that is the Packers' talent carrying them. Maybe that's just them having better players that allows them to win out over an overmatched team like the like the Bears, like the Patriots with their third-string quarterback. But it feels like it should be better than it is. That should be the case again this week, in theory at least, because... In addition to having injuries all over the place, the Patriots are announcing some guys that are injured or maybe borderline injured are just not traveling with the team. They're going into this London game shorthanded, but they're still going to London, and so are the Packers. And it's it's the London aspect that makes this game tricky. Because it seems like more often than not, when these teams are going to London, it's about who handles the trip better rather than who's the better team. So who's going to handle this trip better? Well, it gets easier to handle it if you're the better team to begin with, but who's going to handle this trip to London better? I feel like with Matt LaFleur being in his fourth year, with the sort of veteran leadership the Packers have on this team, the Packers should be the answer there. And they probably should win this week just as a result of that, on top of being a better team than the Giants. But you never know. And the more variables you introduce, the more things can just go go sideways, go wrong in unexpected ways. Playing a game across an entire ocean from where you'd normally be playing is a pretty big variable. And a lot of weird things can happen when you get yourself into those situations, especially when you haven't ironed out all the kinks from your own team just yet. So who are these Giants anyway? To me, the Giants look about how you'd expect a team figuring out who they are under a new coach would look. They've got middling numbers pretty much everywhere. Saquon Barkley is the real bright spot for this team. But pretty clearly, they are a team in transition, and you get a team that's kind of all over the map in those kind of scenarios. The head coach and GM are going to need some time to get their guys in the building, and that process isn't quite done yet. And so you have the Giants coming in here, still scoring more than the Packers, but not a lot more, only about 19 points a game, and yet at 3-1. and one. 
Why are they 3-1? Well, a big reason is because they are 2-1 in games decided by 7 points or less, indicating a bit, a bit of overachieving. And that is not, as I think we've, we've been careful to note over the past few years when the Packers have been accused of that same sort of thing, overachieving is not a negative. You'd rather overachieve than underachieve. Would you rather be 3-1 and one and overachieving, or would you rather be 2-2 two and two and be like, feel good about yourself for saying, well, we're exactly where we're supposed to be? Or get to the end of the season, and you're, you're, you could be 11-5 and five and in the playoffs, or 11, let's, let's say 12-5 and five now and in the playoffs, or you could be 8-8 eight and eight and be like, well, you know, our win-loss record pretty much aligns with our point differential, so this is probably where we should be. No, you'd rather be in the playoffs because once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. So here they come the Giants at 3-1, and one, overachieving a little bit yet so far, and yet still 3-1. and one. Brian Dabble's really the story for the Giants. Head coach and the first time he's been a head coach too. He, I think you can describe pretty much as a Patriots guy. He got his start in the NFL as a defensive assistant with the New England Patriots, switched over to wide receivers in 2002 at the age of 27, was their wide receivers coach uh, for the next five years. Then he left and uh, joined up with the New York Jets for a couple seasons, then had a couple more years as the offensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns, was the offensive coordinator in 2011 for the Miami Dolphins, same job in 2012 for the Kansas City Chiefs, then jumped back over back over to the Patriots for the next four years. He was just a, a generic assistant in 2013, spent the next three years as a tight ends coach, dropped down to Alabama for a year, coached with Nick Saban in 2017 as their offensive coordinator, then was back up in the NFL starting in 2018 as the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. And from there, he jumps to New York and becomes the head coach of the Giants. An offensive kind of mad scientist, I was going to say genius, but mad scientist is is really the way I'd look at it. Did some wacky things with the Bills over the past few years, really maximizing Josh Allen's um, alien-like talent. The thing that stands out about what he's doing with the Giants so far this year is how often they use two-back sets. Now, the Packers use two-back sets a lot, but the Giants use them differently. 26% of their plays are run with two backs on the field. That is sixth most in the NFL, slightly behind the Packers, who run two backs on 29% of their plays. And backs can be fullbacks or running backs. In the Packers' case, it's mostly running backs. I'm not really sure on the breakdown with the Giants. It doesn't really matter. The important part, though, is that the Giants are passing about 54% of the time when they have two backs on the field. For comparison, the Packers, who run, again, about 29% of their plays with two backs on the field, only pass about 47% of the time. The Giants are much more likely to pass with two backs on the field than the Packers are. I don't think that'll change this week, but things may look a little bit different for the Giants this week because Daniel Jones, their starting quarterback, is nominally injured. It looks like he's trending towards playing, And that's in part because he's getting better, apparently, if you believe all the reports from the Giants, and probably at least partly because their backup, Tyrod Taylor, is also hurt, and they don't want to throw their third stringer out there against the Packers. Through four games, uh, Jones is completing just under 64% of his passes. He's got 631 yards through the air, three touchdowns, two interceptions. But also of note, he has carried the ball 31 times for 193 yards, so far this season as well, has scored two touchdowns on top of that. 
That's something the Packers will have to try to stop and something that could be limited for the Giants if Jones is still hurting. The Giants' offensive line is kind of four guys and one guy. The one guy is Andrew Thomas, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. Long tease because it ties back to the last time the Packers played the Giants. He is, though, not to do too much of a spoiler here, but he is the best graded football player in the entire NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, this year. You've got Andrew Thomas, and then you've got the rest of the Giants' offensive line. And that adds up to a line that is not particularly good. They are among the worst pass-blocking offensive lines in the NFL. They are ranked 27th in pass-block win rate by ESPN. They're the 21st best pass-blocking team, according to Pro Football Focus. And they are 31st in adjusted sack rate from football outsiders. They're giving up a lot of sacks that you can't just hang on the quarterback. Run blocking, they're a little bit better, not a lot better. They are 27th in run block win rate rate from ESPN, 13th in run block grade by Pro Football Focus, and they are 18th in adjusted line yards from football outsiders. This is a rare situation where football outsiders is giving the, the Giants running back more credit for the yards that they're gaining on the ground than the offensive line. Most rushing yards can generally be attributed to offensive line success. That's not the case in New York. Saquon Barkley is doing a lot of the work himself. In the passing game, and we'll talk about Saquon here in a second, because he's the most exciting player by a fairly wide margin on this Giants offense, their passing game is wide receiver driven. Dabble wants to throw to wide receivers. He's made a bit of an exception with Saquon Barkley, who has 17 targets, but has mainly been Sterling Shepard and Richie James so far this season. 44 of 100 targeted passes have gone their way. You add in Saquon Barkley, you're up to 61 of 100. You get the picture. It's mainly those two receivers and Barkley. If the ball's in the air, it's going to one of those three guys most of the time. Shepard is in his seventh year, 13 catches so far this year for 154 yards, and a score he's coming off a season where he only played seven games. Richie James is in his fourth year and first with the Giants. He had been with San Francisco the previous three years. Not a super big guy, 5'9", 185 pounds, and there's a good chance you remember him from the Packers' win over the 49ers in the 2020 season because nobody could cover him in that game. He had nine catches for 184 yards and a touchdown. You say, well, John, he is a pretty good guy. He probably signed with the Giants for a pretty pretty good contract because he's a, he's been a pretty productive player even outside that game. Nope, not the case, actually. That is the only 100-yard game of his career. In fact, it's the only time he's broken 70 yards in his career. That nine-catch, 184-yard, one-touchdown game against the Packers was his best game of his career by far. His next biggest receiving total in a game was 66 yards. The Mike Pettin era, everybody. All of that means that nearly 22% of Richie James's career receiving yards have come against the Packers in one game. Yep, he played the Packers two other times. No catches in those games. But in that one game, 21.8 of his career receiving yards. Football's a weird sport. Former Lions wide receiver Kenny Galladay is also in New York, but he has been essentially a non-factor this season and is not traveling to London with the team. The run game, though. The run game is where it's at for the New York Giants. Saquon Barkley, like we said, third in targets in the passing game, but... The running part of being a running back is really what he does best, and he does it really well. 463 yards for four games, through four games, 5.5 average per carry. He averages more than four yards per carry after contact. 
pretty darn good and sixth best in the NFL among backs with at least 25 carries. He's the sort of guy who's so good that you hardly know what to say about him. I mean, he does everything that you want a receiver to do or a runner to do. He's a great runner. He's a great receiver. He can pass block when you need him to. It's not necessarily a strength of his game, but shoot, you take him being a complete negative as a pass blocker just to have him on the field because he's so good at everything else. He is probably the closest thing that I've seen to prime Adrian Peterson since prime Adrian Peterson. Since Adrian Peterson was doing Adrian Peterson things back in 2011, 2012, nobody has looked like that other than Saquon Barkley. With respect to Derrick Henry, who's an entire different sort of sort of cat, Barkley is just incredible to watch. And I suspect we may get to watch him do some Saquon Barkley sort of things on Sunday. Who should we know about? Again, it's Andrew Thomas, their offensive lineman. Put a pin in that. We're going to return to that here in just a second. So how do the Packers stop the Giants' offense? Sounds glib, but tackle better. That's a great place to start. Uh, We talked about this during our Is Devondre Regressing segment, but the Packers generally have been a bit sloppier as a tackling team than they were under Joe Barry in his first year as defensive coordinator. They need to get that cleaned up, or Mr. Barkley could make things could make it a long game on Sunday. What's an easy way to stop a running back other than just flat out stopping the running back? Well, make running too inefficient. They almost were there last week, but a fumble by Romeo Dobbs and an interception by Aaron Rodgers went a long way towards keeping the Patriots in the game, and the Patriots could just keep running the ball since they were still in the game. If the Packers can build up enough of a lead, they might make it so the Giants just can't run themselves back into the game. Perhaps easier said than done, but that is one way to neutralize a great runner. Of course, to build up that lead, you need success against the opposing defense. And Week Martindale comes to the Giants after four years with the Ravens. He is their defensive coordinator, and he's always tended to be pretty blitz-heavy, which generally means man-to-man coverage, and that has held true so far this year for the Giants, but they have also played a string of pretty unimpressive quarterbacks, so that's a little bit of a factor in their Uh, defensive strategy too. Martindale blitzed as often as 55% of the time with the Ravens. So it's definitely a big part of his philosophy. How do the Packers do against the Blitz? Well, Aaron Rodgers actually doing pretty well against the Blitz this year. He's 24 of 31 for 271 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception when blitzed on the season. And that interception was last week against the Patriots. And I don't know if that's so much because of the Blitz or just a bad read. Because if you look earlier in that game, Rodgers had thrown pretty much that exact route to Alan Lazard, and it had worked. Though Jack Jones was nearly on top of that one as well. But it had worked earlier in the game. So I think it was more the defense, the defensive back specifically, making an adjustment than Rodgers not handling the blitz well. Still, knowing that the Giants are probably going to blitz more than teams the Packers have seen so far, is worth making a note of. In their secondary, Fabian Moreau is their top-graded cover man, according to Pro Football Focus, but he has been limited in practice this week. Aaron Robinson is their next top-graded cover man. He is on injured reserve. Adoree Jackson has the most coverage snaps in the Giants' secondary. He's allowed 11 catches on 19 targets. It is... It's not great. Uh, The Giants have shown some weakness in the secondary. 
Their run defense, though, is pretty solid. Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence are both having excellent seasons against the run. Against the run, Lawrence is really just having a great season, period. But outside of Williams and Lawrence, things haven't been phenomenal. As a team, they're giving up 5.1 per carry against the run. They are 21st by DVOA against the run. For comparison, Green Bay is 28th. If you're in the neighborhood of the Packers uh, as a running defense, it's probably not great for you. Let's circle back to Lawrence, though. Uh, fourth year with the Giants after the, they took him 17th overall in 2019. Five picks after Rashawn Gary. He was among my favorite prospects in that particular draft class. 986 relative athletic score, good productivity in college. You could picture pairing him with Kenny Clark and really having something. He's been good this year and really pretty much every year. No real big statistical seasons. It's not even really worth talking about his sacks. He's one of those guys who like affects most games, but only ends up with two or three sacks every year but he's always graded well. He's only missed one game in his career. That's a pretty solid first-round pick. We're going to start uh, making a note of uh, production ratio and ball hawk stuff now that we're four games into the season. Jihad Ward is the only guy on the Giants to break 1.0 in production ratio. He's got one sack and three tackles for loss. If you're not aware, production ratio is a a metric developed by Pat Kerwin, uh, who we've referred to in our book club. Uh, A couple years ago, we did his book, uh, Take Your Eye Off the Ball. Uh, Basically, it's just a a ballpark quick figure for looking at who's productive um, among your edge rushers and defensive linemen. He figures that if you're averaging one sack or tackle for for loss per game, you're doing pretty good. So you add up the number of sacks and tackles for loss a guy has, divide by the number of games he played, you get the production ratio. And Jihad Ward is the only guy who's got a production ratio of one or higher. That's pretty good um, for Ward. Not good for the Giants' defense. Uh, Lawrence is the only other one uh, who's really of note in that particular metric. He's got a .75 production ratio this year, which is pretty good for an interior rusher. Not great uh, overall, but pretty solid for an interior guy. In terms of ball hawks, it's Ward and Lawrence up at the top as well. Ward has one sack, one fumble forced, and one pass defensed. Uh, Dexter Lawrence has two sacks, a fumble forced. So not a lot of people making plays on the ball for the Giants so far this season. In fact, the only guy in the secondary really making plays is Xavier McKinney. He's a third-year safety, three passes defense so far this season, nothing else. If the Packers are going to attack this defense, I would suggest that uh, this is a game where they may want to throw it. Supposedly, again, the book on the Giants is that they're going to blitz a lot, and not play press man coverage, which should give receivers a lot of free releases. But Wink Martindale is a good defensive coordinator, so surely he's going to recognize what's been working against the Packers and maybe look at a little bit more too high sort of stuff. That even being said, looking at the strength of the Giants' secondary, this feels like a game where you're going to have some opportunities to throw it. And I would love to see more targets for Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs down the field. Special teams, real quick. Uh, Graham Gano handles the kicking duties for the Giants, 9 of 11 on the year, 35 years old. He also hang, handles the kickoffs for them, too. His leg is holding up better than Mason Crosby as he ages. His hang time on kickoffs is well over four seconds on the year. Mason Crosby, continuing his downward trend in hang time, is down to 3.66 seconds of hang time uh, on kickoffs this year. It's, it hasn't been great for Mason so far this season. And unless Gano is kicking intentionally short, I would imagine we're going to see a lot of balls into the end zone this weekend. Though I have wondered about that. The Patriots seem to be kicking short to Amari Rodgers and making him return the ball last week, 
Perhaps the Giants will want to do that as well, though Gano certainly has the leg to get it to the end zone. Their punter is Jamie Gillen. He's averaging 51.1 yards per punt on the year. That is fourth best in the NFL, a real field flipper for the New York Giants. Primary kick returner has been running back Gary Brightwell. He's only returned four kicks so far this year, averaging 18.5 per return. I'm not particularly worried there, even if Mason Crosby can't get it to the end zone. Their punt returner has been Richie James, 7.6 per return on nine returns this season. That's right about where he's been on his career average. Not spectacular there. The last time the Packers played gives us an opportunity to circle back to Andrew Thomas because the Packers really dominated the Giants um, in Week 11 of the 2019 season. It's really not worth talking about at length. The Packers win 31-13. to They were on cruise control the entire game. A snowy, rough weather game in New York that day. It was never a contest. The Packers never trailed. It was tied once in the first quarter, but the Packers really just slowly chipped away and buried the Giants that day. However, this was a game that was of broader importance to both teams because getting the win against the Giants helped the Packers get a first round bye in the 2019 playoffs because the tiebreaker between themselves and the Saints for the second seed in the NFC playoffs was conference winning percentage. The Giants are in the NFC. The Packers are in the NFC. This win over the Giants helped the Packers in that direction. It also helped the Giants a little bit because the Giants were, I don't want to say they were tanking, but they were playing for draft position at this point in the season. It was pretty clear they were going nowhere fast because that loss dropped them to 2-10. and 10. They were in play for the top overall pick, and had they gotten the top overall pick, they would have ended up probably taking Ohio State um, edge rusher Chase Young. But Chase Young ended up with Washington. Why was that? Well, the Giants won one game to move them to three on the year, and then they had a Week 16 matchup with Washington where both teams had the opportunity to let's say lay down, put it that way, and secure higher draft position. Now, the Giants ended up winning that game. They finished 4-12 and on the season, and as a result, ended up picking fourth in the 2020 NFL Draft. Joe Burrow goes first overall. Chase Young goes second overall. Jeff Okuda goes third overall. And then the Giants take Andrew Thomas fourth overall. Now, Thomas has developed into a very good offensive lineman, but there have been others who have been at least as good or better. For instance, Tristan Wirfs went in the teens to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and has been an all-pro caliber right tackle for, um, for Tampa. Thomas hasn't been that good to this point in his career, though he has been very, very good this year. Should the Giants have tanked? Should they have tried harder to lose? Well, Young has had a bit of an up-and-down NFL career to date, had a strong start as a rookie, tore his ACL in his second season, and he's not back for year number three. Thomas has consistently gotten better. Can you make a case that the Giants, even by not tanking, ended up with the, the better position overall? What's the relative positional value between a really solid tackle and an edge rusher? I'm asking all these questions rhetorically because I don't have a firm answer there. I just think it's interesting how those sorts of things worked out and and how the Packers win over the Giants last time around actually, in a small way, played a, a part in who ended up going where.
How do the Packers win this game? Broadly, I think your your path to victory here is basically the same as last week over the Patriots. They've got some question marks at quarterback, but they can run the ball well, so they're going to try to run on you. You've got to take away their running game however you can, either by just stopping it or making it so inefficient that they can't. And once you get them passing, you've got to get after Daniel Jones. He's going to have mobility problems, and he's got a bad offensive line in front of him. The Packers should have three, four, five sacks in this game, at least. In fact, I would say if they've got less than four in this one, it's a disappointing outcome for the Packers' defense. That's that's the game plan. Stop their run, make it inefficient to run, and then throw on them, just move the ball however you can, make it inefficient, take away the game from them. And I think the Packers are going to do that. I think travel variables aside, they're a better team than the Giants. And I think we're getting to the point where the Packers really need to start showing us that they can put it all together. The Giants are a team they should beat regardless of the health of the team. Even if they had everybody out there, the Packers have more good players than the Giants. They should be able to beat the Giants straight up. With the injuries the Giants are facing, the Packers should dominate this game, even if it is in an odd circumstance on the road, though the Packers are nominally the home team. I think the Packers are going to start to put it together this week. I think Judging by his comments in the media this week, Aaron Rodgers is really looking for ways to get Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson involved. He knows what they can offer, and he wants them to be a part of the offense. I think we're going to start seeing more of that this week. And most people seem to agree with me. According to our weekly Packers polls, 95 point or 94 excuse me right on the dot 94 percent of voters think the Packers are going to win that is the second highest total of the season so far uh, behind last week and just ahead of uh, week two when 93 percent of voters thought the Packers would beat the Bears generally people are feeling pretty good about the team overall 80 percent of people approve of the overall direction of the team and that is uh that's right up there with some of the higher vote totals this season down from last week, but still looking fairly strong. I did want to take a second in this episode to talk about the poll results overall, since we're four weeks into the season, Brian Gutekunst has enjoyed strong support throughout this entire year. He's sitting at 95% approval rating this week. That is his second highest mark of the year. Matt LaFleur, broadly the same thing. He is back above 90% for the second time in this year, 93.2%. The offense, though, people are not sold on what the Packers' offense is doing. They're down to a a season-low 19.5% approval rating, though it's worth noting that most people do not disapprove of the offense. We've got 70% of voters with a neutral opinion on the Packers' offense right now. Aaron Rodgers is at a season-low 31% approval rating. He's got a lot of people in the middle, 257% of voters have a neutral opinion of him right now. Defense still fairly strong, though down from last week, 92.9% was the approval rating in week four. We're down to 71.1 in week five. Joe Barry has seen his support dwindle as well, 39.5% approval rating. Uh, He's got 18% of voters who disapprove of the things that he is doing with the Packers defense. But 
Special teams in Rich Bisaccia still going strong. 81.6% of voters, though that is down slightly from last week, still approve of what special teams are doing. Rich Bisaccia enjoying a 93% approval rating among voters in our weekly polls. People are feeling good about the Packers. Uh, Hopefully our UK fans are feeling especially good about the Packers, getting to see them in person. Again, I just want to say that I'm so excited for all of you in the UK who listen to this show uh, and really anybody within close enough distance to get there and see the Packers in person. This is an awesome time for you. I'm, I'm so happy the Packers could get out there for a game, even if it wasn't necessarily their choice. They were they were sent there. Um, and I, I'm just happy that you get to be a part of that game day atmosphere in person. And I hope you represent uh, yourselves and the Packers well on Sunday. Unfortunately, due to some travel on our end here with our family, I'm not going to have a recap of the game immediately after it happens. So we'll have to wait toward the middle of next week for sort of a quasi recap um, midweek episode of of Blue 58. Uh, we're going on a little uh, just family trip this weekend um, to, well, to some place where it's going to be great to see some some fall foliage. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a, a great time, and uh, we'll get caught up on Packers football when we get back. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode, and I really appreciate you listening in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and uh, share this with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's the number one way that we grow. Your word of mouth is what gets more people tuned into Blue 58, and you've done a great job of it over the years. We just continue to grow month after month, year after year, and it really is in large part thanks to you. So thank you for doing that. Getting more people to listen to Blue 58 gets more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.